Mote. Yakana Hey. Welcome to season two. Yes, you heard us right. Tiny, they ready? I don't think they are ready yet. Here we are with the new season, with new guests from across the continent, sharing the most inspiring entrepreneur journeys. We got Libya, Zimbabwe, Ghana, and so much more. Welcome to season two of a series of AMS. Mbote, my name is Binja, hailing from the green heart of Africa, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and I am so excited to have you here. With me is my co-host, my baby girl. She is the day one of the day one. Guys, patience. Talk to the people, Tiny. You better let them know. Hey, girl. Hey, Jumbo and Aquaba. It's your girl, Tiny, hailing from the Lone Star Republic of Liberia, located on the beautiful coastline in West Africa. Okay. West Africa is in the building. Thank you. <laughs> and we would like to welcome you to a series of ands. A series of ands is a show about entrepreneurial women in Africa. On this podcast, we celebrate tastemakers in business who are continually innovating, empowering those around them, and slaying in style. Why? Because we are all more than one thing. We demystify what it takes to start, grow, and run successful businesses and organizations across the continent. We talk to women of all backgrounds, from business owners to CEOs of companies, analysts, tastemakers, influencers, African girl magic, to unpack their experience and deliver it to our audience who don't get to have the same amount of time that we get to have with them. So today's guest has this up on her LinkedIn. And I figured there's no better way to sum up who she is than with these words. Great communicators are those who think broadly, adapt quickly, interpret globally, know what and who is current and can tell a compelling story. With this, allow me to introduce you to Cynthia Ofori. Now I'm going to have her say her full name because God forbid I'd be out here the one butchering people's night, Ghanaian names. And then the Ghanaian crew come collect me. Please, I still want to be in Accra for dirty December. Let's respect ourselves. So Cynthia is a marketing and communications professional with over 14 years of experience in Ghana, the United States, the UK, and it on multiple Pan-African projects. So let me tell you a little bit about who Cynthia is because indeed she truly is phenomenal as we will continue finding out on this podcast today. Cynthia is listed as a top innovator in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa by the respected global communications media group, Provoke Media. And this was as of 2021, she was listed on their top 25 list as an essential barometer for marketing and communication innovations worldwide. Advanced Media named her among the 50 most influential young Ghanaians in leadership and civil society. Under her leadership, Cynthia's employers and clients have won international and local awards, including Sabres, Chartered Institute of Marketing, Ghana, Ghana Insurance Awards, Chartered Insurance Institute of Ghana Awards, Institute of Public Relations, Ghana PR Excellence Awards, some gong gongs, which I'm hoping she's going to tell us which are these gong gongs, and way, way more. All of this is to say Cynthia is 
truly a series of ands, and I cannot wait to jump in and find out more about this phenomenal woman. So welcome to a series of ands, Cynthia Ofori. Thank you so much. I am totally excited and hyped. Full energy. I'm bringing all my energy. And yes, my name is Cynthia Ofori. It's a very Ghanaian name. (laughs) There we go. Okay. Cynthia Ofori Doomfo. I love it. I love it. So welcome to a series of Anne Cynthia. The way we usually start this show is we love to ask our guests to introduce themselves. I can sing your praises, but nobody knows Cynthia better than Cynthia does. So go ahead, Cynthia, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow. Okay. Every time someone asks me this question, I am like, where do I start? Uh, Maybe I'll start (laughs) from now. (laughs) <laughs> so I am uh, your quintessential, uh, I think most people would describe me as a career woman because you mm-hmm. will, you're most likely to see me posting about the work that I'm doing and pretty, being pretty excited about the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, however, I am a person of many interests, a creative person who enjoys to live life. I have had a very interesting yeah. um, life up until this point where I have... Mm-hmm been lucky and privileged to have participated in all manner of things across everything from adventure to food to family so if you ask me who I am Mm. I would tell you that I am a person of many colors and um, Mm -hmm. you will get a lot of um, aggression you get a lot of um, hard work and you also get achievement and ambition and um, for me Mm-hmm. It's great to be living a life on my own terms. And I'm also yeah. glad, generally, I think that the perception that most people have of me is a woman who is confident in herself. I mean, without adding all the beautiful education stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I love that. All right, let's go ahead and delve right into the beginnings of Cynthia, because I always fully believe that a lot of who we are now can be traced to where we started off, good or bad, right? At the end of the day, there's a lot of who we are that is informed by our environment, by our upbringing. And so let's talk a little bit about where five-year-old Cynthia was. How much trouble were you getting into? Let's just be honest with each other here. How much trouble were you getting into? So you see, I had my good girl pose on and I was trying to be very like professional and everything, but you want me to tell on myself. Tell on yourself. We are all friends here. <laughs> we are all friends. All, all one million of us listening. We are all friends. Before I became this so-called, uh, you know, corporate woman, I was this naughty five-year-old who never used to stay still. I mean, five-year-old mm. was that child that was annoying because sit she wouldn't sit uh, questions i had no questions to ask it i had a very high reading um, capacity for a five-year-old so if i'm not talking i'm reading i mean i can't tell you how you know conflicting that is if you think about it on one hand this child is able to sit still and read for hours on end but at the same time mm-hmm. this child is also the naughty child screaming and shouting and doing all the naughty stuff i'm a middle child so as you can mm-hmm. imagine middle kids we tend to be the naughtiest. So that, that was five-year-old me. <laughs> living living in, in Akosombo at the time, actually. Oh, wow. Akosombo. I love Akosombo. Oh, I love Akosombo. 
Yeah. You know, let me just flex my Ghanaian experience, my Ghanaian upbringing, you know? So, Cynthia, I like to consider myself part Ghanaian because a lot of my childhood was spent in Ghana. I grew up in like Accra, Osu, Dansoma, Makate Hill, the whole shebang. So, I'm very familiar, yeah, with the Ghanaian uh, context. So, it's so funny that you just mentioned how a bit of a naughty child you were. You were very curious. And I think a lot of people, when we see people who grow into creatives and have creative mindset, usually have similar, you know, background in terms of how they ventured into that path. And so I wanted to know, you know, you were the curious, naughty, inquisitive, you know, child growing up, you know, with your family. Do you think your family or relatives or community that knew you as a child would expect you mm. to be the woman that you are, you know, mm. right now in the career path that you explored? I'll be honest, I don't think I have veered in any way from the expectations of me. I will tell you that even in university, right after <laughs> university, when we were leaving school uh -huh. and we're talking about who's most likely to be married first, who's most likely to be career woman. I hate to say this, but mm, they were like, as for you, we can see you like busy running around, working and all excited. <laughs> and I have lived up to that reputation right from my childhood, you uh -huh. know. And all through my childhood, my teenagehood, coming of age, university, I've been very involved in all manner of activities mm -hmm. from school activities to leadership programs, leading projects. So I, I pretty much was that kid. Mm -hmm. I started very early, honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was that kid who was involved in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe in the beginning, there was a fear that I wasn't serious mm -hmm. because I had many interests, yeah. you know, and I couldn't pinpoint a specific thing. Mm -hmm. You know, but I am glad that my family was supportive in that they never really, you know, boxed me in. Once or twice when I was in university and I was trying to be a, I was actually a student journalist. Yes. Then they were like, okay, now you're doing too much because mm -hmm. I had so much going on. But generally as a child growing up, I mean, I participated in school plays, school this, this program, that program. I was a prefect, you know. So right from childhood, I have lived up to that image of myself being this girl who just finds something interesting, goes after it, mm. and then does whatever she wants to do. I always say that I am actually really privileged to have a family that has supported me, even when they didn't think I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes growing up, I know that my family has questioned the decisions that I've made, especially when I've gone against convention mm -hmm. or I have pursued my interests against the typical, I mean, yeah. as people would typically do. They have always been, okay, you want mm -hmm. to do this. Are you sure? You're sure? Okay, no problem. And I do credit that with giving me the confidence to, you know, just explore mm -hmm. um, and try things. Mm -hmm. So that trial and error attitude, that hustle attitude, it didn't start today. It really just started from really my childhood. Yeah. And I mean, I live in Akosombo. Akosombo is such a beautiful place, you know, as you know, with the mountains and, yeah. you know, scenery and you know it's, it's a perfect place growing up as a child you know because you're free to run around it's safe all of that but we moved yeah. to Accra big bad Accra <laughs> and Accra you know Accra is a mad city as you know very well Accra is a, a hip life hectic place and then I moved from uh what do you call it private school straight into a military school so you know there was some adjusting over there Lord Jesus exactly mm. in Burma camp so then I got my lessons in mm -hmm. you know trying to toughen up and everything <laughs> 
So along the way, I, honestly, most people that I meet, they're not surprised at all. They're like, mm, mm. we saw this coming. We're not surprised. Yeah. And, and people have told me this. Literally, I met someone a couple of weeks back. And this lady was like, oh, I saw you somewhere. And I was saying that when we were in high school, I told somebody that, oh, as for Cynthia, she's going to be like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I never planned it. I, actually, I never planned it. You know, Cynthia, when I say this a lot, you know, we've said this in our own conversations with each other and on the show as well. You know, the investment our families, you know, poured into us made all the difference. Yeah. And especially coming from the culture we come from, you know, the context we come from in Africa, where when you are a girl child, you're limited in a lot of ways in terms of what opportunities is given to you. And it's also in terms of what level of investment your family is going to pour into you, depending on what their traditional mindsets are. And, you know, similar to you and then and, and Benja can chime in as well, like from her experience, but from my experience, I'm a free spirit. And I think Benja and all my friends can tell you that. Like I literally, I'm the most out of the box. I can confirm she's 110% a free spirit. Everybody's going right. Patience is also going to go right, but she's flying on angel's wings. And you're asking yourself why, how must he always be on this level? She has always been like this. Yes. I can confirm. Uh, like, I am not the typical African. <laughs> I think that's where we have such a connection. Right, because we I, do, Cynthia. I'm telling you. Seriously, because the whole free-spiritedness, that's actually words that people used to describe me. I'm a free spirit. Really? <laughs> I do what mm. I I do what makes me happy and I go for it. And, right? And in a space. I am going to be myself. I right. can't even do anything. Mm. And it's, it's and growing up, you know, as a free spirit, a child, like, and then come from the context, it's not acceptable in a lot of ways because people look at you like, what type of weird shit are you? Like, you know, are you on? Because you don't act like the typical African girl. Mm. You're not in this box. You color out of the line. You're a rebel without a cause. Sometimes, you know, they tell you. And it's like, <laughs> a lot of times you're misunderstood, you know, like growing up. Because, you know, you come from a place where people box a girl child. Like, this is how you're supposed to like, prim and proper and this way and that way. And you're just the complete mm-hmm, mm-hmm. opposite. And like like what you were just saying, Cynthia, like literally in Benja, like they've called me free-spirited, unicorn. Like, I mean, everything else on the box, mermaid, fairy, like, and even to my adult age, it's like that free spirit has never left me. That inner child, in a lot, a lot of ways, has never It has left. not. It absolutely has not left her. When I have conversations where, you know, you're just in that space and you're zoned in, you know, I talk about happiness a lot mm-hmm. and the inner child mm. because I generally believe that for a lot of people, they are forced to abandon their inner child. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you actually mm. need to call on your inner child mm-hmm. as you grow, as you are, you are aging, mm-hmm. because it's the inner child that's going to bring you light. Because mm-hmm. we all know adulting is not easy. Ah. You know, you have to find lightness mm-hmm. in moments. In the pain. You know, when people ask me, how is it that I'm always so chirpy about my job, you know, corporate mm-hmm. and stuff? I'm like, because I choose to make myself happy. In Ghana, we, there's an expression called happy yourself. Mm-hmm. I literally believe in happy myself. So you have to be willing. And that's a creative goal. <laughs> I love it. You have, listen, as a creative, especially, if you don't tap into your inner child, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. are you going to give off your best? Because yeah. if you are forcing yourself to act in a way that is expected of you, mm-hmm. to be yeah. who you're expected to be yeah. all the time yeah. is draining. Yeah. You've got to let your inner child out a little. And sometimes the Absolutely. inner child may not reflect in happiness or excitedness. Sometimes it's just forcing to enjoy, literally smell the flowers. Yeah. 
enjoy a mm, moment, you know, absolutely. and I, I, I am a very yeah. big proponent of that. So thanks for saying that because you just brought that, like, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. inner child, yes. I am so excited. I feel like <laughs> me and Cynthia, we are spiritually connected, okay, with my soul sister right here, you know, and, you know, and speaking of that, it's like, so for me, I could never, I'm not somebody who can be controlled. Any type of situation that involves me being controlled is like my body, my mind, my soul, like, you know, resisted. And so that even came with career, the career path that I, you know, I picked from it. It had to be a career path that I could be me. I could be creative. I could be outside of the box. I could, you know what I'm saying? And I could truly tap into that inner child side. So with that being said, how has, you know, your inner child, you know, within you progressed through, like, secondary school and first before you know mm-hmm. into the university realm like how are you able to maintain that in you leaving a Kosombo, a very beautiful quiet free sort of you know space mm-hmm. and then now finding yourself in Accra with the hustle and bustle and then in a military school secondary where it's definitely <laughs> confinement it's definitely control how are you able to maintain your free spirit and nature and your inner child in secondary school the interesting thing is, I don't think I ever quite tried. And that's why I always say that some of these things are blessings, because I don't think I ever tried to do otherwise. I just was myself. So, you know, coming from Akosombo, from Akosombo International School to, because my mom worked with the um, VRE, you know, VRE is the power generating Akosombo, if you know about Ghana, all of that stuff. So I moved to Accra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then now I'm at Services Basic School. You know, that's my first real taste of real life in, in court. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been exposed. Like, if the driver doesn't pick us up, then we are taking chocho. Mm-hmm. You know, we are mm-hmm. <laughs> we are doing all the things that kids do, roaming by the side of mm-hmm. the street. I can count the number of times that I would leave school and walk home. It wasn't that close, but it wasn't ridiculously far. I was probably one of those kids on the side of the road weeping because I'm like, they haven't picked me up and I'm walking, walking, walking. By the time I get home, my mom is mad because mm-hmm. we went to the school to pick me up. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, that experience in the school, you know, the, the level of discipline, the exposure to a very different lifestyle, I think it really bolstered me. When I left services, I actually went to boarding school back in Akusumbu. Oh, wow. This time to Akusumbu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to boarding school and I stayed in the boarding school for about five years. I did junior high school there and then I did um, my senior high school there as well. But boarding school was a very different experience from growing up in Akosombo, as you can imagine. Boarding school is like a whole different ball game altogether. And I actually credit boarding school with a lot of who I am today. I credit boarding school with my independence, my ability to function in high pressure scenarios, Mm -hmm. my ability to just, you know, make things happen, improvise. I mean, boarding school in Ghana is not <laughs> like it's not easy. Fancy boarding schools you see on TV, no, it's not like that. <laughs> as you know, they're hustling with these boarding schools, and my boarding school was technically been one of the nicer ones. Mm-hmm. But even with that, you know, there's still the level of hustle in boarding school. And I think I found myself in all these experiences because as you're going through these schools, you're interacting with different types of people. You are beginning to understand your place in life. Mm-hmm. And I think I came to an early realization of my place in life. Like, for instance, am I from a rich family? Am I from a poor family? You know, when you're young, you don't really understand those dynamics until you really are in a space where you're like, yeah. like my parents are trying. They are really trying their best, mm. <laughs> you know. Then you're able to see how others are living and you're like, okay, I understand. You also then define who you are in your space. And, you know, in boarding school and secondary yeah. school, there's a whole alignment of who are you? There's a social strata. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to fit yourself? Are 
are you willing to fit yourself within the cliches or mm-hmm. you know like i said i don't think i ever really intended to maintain that level of my inner child my free spiritedness somehow i was still able to maintain it throughout all of these experiences mm-hmm. and i think that perhaps maybe my early childhood exposure because generally my parents were mm-hmm. quite well traveled and all of that and my reading and all of that i think that it made me a lot more exposed than yeah. most of my classmates mm-hmm. and so that probably gave me a different perspective and gave me a confidence that i didn't even appreciate yeah at my young age so whilst mm. people were really trying to you know build themselves up and all of that i was maybe a step ahead of them in that sense but the truth is even then there were major lessons like yeah. for instance i flunked my junior high school exam and you know that was in between uh, even though i went back to the same school for senior high school it was a big deal with my family because mm-hmm. no one flunked exams yeah and yes my flunking my exam is not as bad as someone's flunking but it was a disaster and and for me it was such a massive blow to my (laughs) self-esteem at Mm. the time because when i junior high school i was like it was a great time boarding school i'm feeling like i'm this teenager who's been there done that right and then your exam results come in your results are not good enough for you to go to premium girls high school that my sister went to western Mm. girls high school Know much about Ghana, mm. Westy Girls is the like, yeah, the number one, yeah. you know, in terms of girls, yeah. those public high schools. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be, yeah. and because my grades were not good enough, mm-hmm. I couldn't. Mm. But luckily for me, I had written the exams to go back to Akusum when I passed those exams. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting back to Akusum and thinking to myself, wow, I have something to prove. And I, I think that I approached my high school with that mindset that I need to prove to myself yeah. that I'm not the grades that I had. That was yeah. the first thing. Mm. Yeah. You know, mm. and it was so important to me. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I necessarily said, this is what I'm going to do, one, two, three. I just had it at the back of my mind yeah. that I was not that first taste of failure that I had in my life. Yeah. You know, and somehow, and I think that that has also driven me because when I have these challenges and failures, I think that in my life, I've been able to figure it out and be like, no, I, I can't let this hold me back. Yeah. You know, and rather use it as a motivating tool. And I'm not saying I've been successful all mm. the time, but I'm just saying that it has helped push me. So in high school, I remember one time I was having a conversation with someone and I said, hey, would you believe what I got in my junior high school exams, my grades? Mm. I told this lady and this girl at the time, and she was like, no, you're lying. I was like, <laughs> I can't you know because by that time I was my grades I was like top of class you know yeah. all of that stuff because mm-hmm. I had said I'm not the exam grade yeah it was a poor outcome but that was not who I was yeah you know so yeah. all of that childhood experience was learning becoming you know figuring myself out coming of age also you know as usual doing everything mm. from sports to you know, mm. school activities to leadership because I was a girl's head prefect, blah, blah, blah. So many things. Yeah. <laughs> if you mention it, I've been there. I played hockey. I played football. I played what I got. I did hurdles. I did. I was in the drama. Jesus. Club, Cynthia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Cynthia. I think I just, I was just like, I don't know, maybe I just never wanted to be bored. We are talking. Let me tell you the word that was just landing for me. Courage. Mm-hmm. The word courage. Mm. It takes a certain level of courage to be a free spirited mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do not realize when you are actually being courageous. Mm-hmm. I think that it's yeah. uh, you develop the courage somewhere along the way, mm-hmm. being free spirited as a young person, as a child. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to hold on to that courage, you realize that that's what defines your ability to go against the grain. Oftentimes, I've had people ask me, like for instance, I left the States when most people would have stayed in the States. And mm-hmm. I came back home. 
work and to live. In fact, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, people are like, wow, you really like, why would you do that? I was like, I don't know. I just did it. I followed my gut. And time and time again, in scenarios where I have found myself doing things that people will not expect or people will not typically do, I find that the word courage comes up. Mm-hmm. because people mm-hmm. say, wow, you have heart, you know, oh, you try, you, you know, your mm-hmm. usual Ghanaian yeah, yeah, attempt yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You try, you, they <laughs> force, so, you know, they fear, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't fear, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I didn't fear that we're still here, guys. You know, like, I'm not sure this is yes. going to work out. Like, I'm like, it just feels yes. right. I'm feeling like that. If it works out, if it doesn't work out, I'll pick myself up the floor. And, and that's it. it. Yeah. You know, and the word yeah. courage is really what it is. That's it. Free yeah. spirits, we're not afraid to fail. We're not afraid to look stupid. Yeah. You know, when everybody else is trying yeah. to maintain, oh my God, I can't look stupid in this situation. I have to be rigid. I have to appear perfect. Free spirits are opposite. Like, I might look dumb. And I might look like a damn fool because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to try it. And if I fail, at least I tried. At least I know I put in the effort, you know? And like you said, People think we're so brave. And yes, that comes with a lot of courage, but that courage comes from us just not trying to fit in. And we're not trying to be accepted either. We're not trying to be validated either. We're just going to move according to what we feel is best. And if that looks weird to other people or eccentric to other people, that is, it is what it is. But as long as it makes us internally happy and we can maintain, you know what I'm saying? That freedom that comes with, you know, being a free spirit, that's what matters to us. So... I was just going to say, I can't wait to bring that to the work environment because everything you were saying mm. is the point. Like, you don't realize how much that is also reflected in your work, in mm-hmm. your career. Mm-hmm. Your ability to stand on your like conviction. Mm-hmm. People don't take it very seriously, but it actually defines who you are and how you place yourself in the work environment and people's ability to trust you because they feel that if you're willing to stand your ground and follow and do what you believe would work out they are more able Mm. to say okay you know what it looks like she thinks she knows what she's doing let's give her a chance yeah and when you're in that position it enables you to be more innovative to deliver Mm. and those Mm. are the lessons i have learned i have learned that in pushing and in exploring unconventional you know activities and right now i'm working at an unconventional company actually you are able to do a lot when you're just like, okay, I mean, this doesn't make sense, but can we give it a shot? Yeah. It takes courage to say, let's just try it and see. Because in this case, yeah. if you do it and it gets out there, what are the repercussions of flighting something that nobody has mm-hmm, flighted mm-hmm. before, you know, in the public yeah. space? What are the repercussions? Yeah. Your brand falls flat in its face. So the decisions yeah. are greater and more dire as we go in our careers and go in age and we have family and whatnot. But I think the principles are still the same. And that's what really makes a difference. So I love that you're saying, sending that message mm. out to people because they need to keep that in mind. Let me just preach a little here. Preach away. Preach away. We're here. We're listening. We're about to pass the offering basket, in fact. I love to tell young women, especially, that the fear thing is a big deal, especially in a country where Ghanaians we are good people. We like to keep the straight and narrow path. We like to do what mm. is expected of us. But I tell young people, especially young, ambitious women, that no one who climbed the ladder, no one who Mm. performed, no achiever achieved without pushing. You cannot do what you are told and expect to move on. The people who grow in their careers, the people who grow in visibility, the people who become better versions of themselves are people who push. 
whether pushing means, you know, yeah. doing more than what is expected of you or pushing means, you know, becoming that annoying person who wants to involve themselves in so many things or pushing mm. means asking for projects. You know, it's something that I always tell women that you have to be willing to push. You are yeah. not going anywhere yeah. if you don't push. Otherwise, the system will keep yeah. you down. And well, if that's where you want to be, that's okay. But if you want to move, you want to advance, you have to be able to say, it may not work out. I don't know if I'm actually courageous, but I'm going to give it a shot. Honestly, I appreciate conversations like this where I can actually sit back almost as though I'm in the audience as well and just taking in all of these gems and I'm like taking my own notes. I'm like, yes, this is going to be on a post-it so that I can remind myself, just push, Minja, just push. And it's because of something that really struck me that I can now see like a full through line in terms of how you've brought us along this journey. Because you mentioned failing, right? And you didn't fail when you were older where you can now say, oh my God, I don't even have the toolkit within myself to know what to do to pick myself up. You failed very early. And I think sometimes when we fail early, because of the environment we're in, it ends up preventing us from really taking it as this is part of life. What do I need to learn from this? How do I need to pivot? What do I need to do to push to do better? Because literally, I don't know, patients, if you are listening the way I was, but like she described how she went from junior high into high school. And she said, according to her and her family, that was a fail. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's how she put it. Yep. And then she said when she came in, the people who were now in high school couldn't even believe her grades before because you said <laughs> you had to prove it to yourself that you were not your grades. And I felt like that was really, really powerful because people define themselves along the lines of so many metrics that like, OK, what did I get in my SAT score? What did I get in my national university score? What did I get in my high school score that gets you into university? Like, oh, everybody now can see my grade. I'm the big failure. And people forget that like life is incredibly cyclical and also something that at the end of the day, if you don't know how to fail today, yeah. tomorrow life will still teach you this lesson in a different way. Yeah. And it's up mm -hmm. to you to continually just learn how to be more and more resilient, how to pick yourself up, how mm -hmm. to encourage yourself. So let's just talk about it globally. I know you studied journalism. I'm trying to understand how you went from journalism at the university in Ghana to Clemson University in the States. I know you came back and that's fine. But what we love to really touch on, especially in these university years for our audiences, you know, why did you choose what you chose? And was there something when you were in university that now like pointed you to this particular profession that you're in today? So interestingly, my story of failure did not end in GSS. Mm -hmm. my story of failure continued into university. So I finished high school on a high. Mm -hmm. I went to university on a high. Mm -hmm. I actually studied economics and French. Hey. I know. I dropped the French halfway through, um, I think, second year. Mm -hmm. And you know what's crazy is, when I tell people that I finished with a lower degree, I, I don't know how that translates. Mm -hmm. That's a 2.2, depending on where you are. Or the GPA. Yes. I finished with a lower Mm -hmm. And, you know, when people see me standing out there doing whatever, working and stuff, you know, I was adjudged what um, Chartered Institute of Marketing Practitioner of the Year last year. You know, they hear all these yeah. things and they're like, wow. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. listen, when I finished university, I wouldn't have qualified for some of these graduates programs because mm -hmm. my grade was... My God. And it was a consequence of several things. One, mm -hmm. I discovered that 
I mean, obviously, the style of teaching in university did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Two, I was very distracted in university. Mm-hmm. I told you that I was. I continued my leadership stuff. I was a student um, journalist. I had two radio programs. I was doing so many different things. I was busy. Mm-hmm. I had a full career. There's an expression we have in Ghana about um, don't let the school pass through you. You should pass through the school. I was an epitome of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that. I meet people <laughs> and they're like, oh, Cynthia. And I'm like, hi. And they remember you. You don't remember them because you were all over the place, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That was yeah. me. But by the time I finished uni, I struggled with my economics degree. I will be the first person to tell you that that was hard. Yeah. Very hard. You know, and when I dropped the French, which was supposed to be my saving grace, it went mm. downhill. Mm-hmm. So at the time that I finished university, I was like, wow, that was a wild ride. I've been there, done that from Rotary. I was, you know, vice president of the Rotary Club and uni. We did a bunch of things, really cool stuff. Like I did cool stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I have to show for it? Apart from all the nice stuff on my CV, right? Mm-hmm. My grade is not good enough to even get me in one of these management programs and stuff. I literally had to sit back and ask myself, what am I doing? But one thing I didn't mention was that during my university life, once again, mm-hmm. every single step, you know, one of the things when people ask me about myself, I also describe myself as a little bit of a hustler mm-hmm. because okay, she said, I'm a hustler, baby. Once again, thanks to the way my family was open, mm-hmm. right? From the time that I finished high school, I got my first job. I literally went to beg for my first job, mm-hmm. working at Woodin mm-hmm. as a, a sales girl. You know, I literally took torture and went to the factory where the office was and said, hey, would you hire me? Because I think it's really cool. And I don't want to stay at home doing nothing in between the period between uni and high school. And then in, in university, every summer I would travel. Initially, my parents paid my way the first year. By the second, third Fourth year, yeah. I was paying my way every summer. You know, you mm-hmm. you sort yourself out. Who are you staying with? My sister, I'm staying with my uncle. You know, I'm staying with my auntie. And you go, you hustle your way. You look for a job. You know, I, I tell people that sometimes they don't understand that when you see people, it's a consequence of the life experiences they've had. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, my ability to improvise, my creativity, yeah. my mm-hmm. exposure, a lot of it comes from these experiences I had. Mention it, I've probably done it. I've been a waitress, I've been crowd control, and at a time yeah. where I was so skinny, like a size zero, wearing these huge security jackets and stuff, I did that. And what at the time I didn't appreciate how much of a life lesson these were. I was just doing it because I was like, yo, I need to make some money. You know, I need to like have a little extra in my pocket when I come back to school. You know, um, I also want to travel, all of that stuff. But what I didn't realize Mm. was that I was actually building life skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I finished uni, went back to the UK. Mm -hmm. I worked for a while. I came back to Ghana and I was like, national service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, wow, national service. I worked in a government institution. And luckily for me, I got placed in Ministry of Communications. And Mm -hmm. I got even an even better placement within the office. So over there mm. too, I was exposed to a lot. But at the same time, I was trying to get a really good job. Yeah. You know, so even at that time, I wanted to fit into... And when we say we are free-spirited, it doesn't mean that we are always necessarily always backing the trends. Sometimes yeah. you want mm. to fit in the lines. Mm-hmm. And as fate will have it, you don't fit into the lines because that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And for me, yeah. that was... Yeah. Nice. I was like, I know I don't think I fit in a bag, but yeah. I'm going to try and apply for the bag. Yeah. 
And meanwhile, the bank is looking for first-class students, and I'm not a first-class student. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. somehow, somehow, I do these, oh, let me see, let me see, let me see. I found a job at a management consulting firm. I literally used to see the firm as I would drive past. And I, was, I said to myself one day, I don't know what stops me from applying for a job from mm-hmm. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but you know what? It's the audacity for me. It's the audacity for me because Cynthia said, I don't understand why one plus one is not equal me working at this place. So I'm going. Come on. Yeah. No, but listen, at times, like, I feel like your story for us, Cynthia, it, it's just, it's so freaking inspiring because at the end of the day, you're like a series of somebody who's just said, I'm going to go for it. What is the worst thing that, that yes. can happen? And I say this to people all the time. Yes. What is the worst thing that can happen? Okay, so you're embarrassed. Have you met somebody who died from embarrassment? Okay, so you are ashamed. Have you ever met somebody who died from shame? At the end of the day, you have to sit there and say, all of these are feelings that you're projecting based on what you think other people are going to think about you, other people are going to say about you, which at the end of the day means you're not sitting here doing this for yourself. You're doing this for the gaze of other people, which is the incorrect motivation for you to have. So come on, Cynthia, tell it. Girl, tell it. And you know, Cynthia also, you know, just piggybacking off of Benja as well. I love the honesty that has been shared in this conversation because mm. I feel like it's so important. A lot of times we look at success, right? And we feel like if we don't, you know, share our failure moments or the moments that we were down or even our darkest moments, it will take away from mm. the light that we are right now or from the, you know what I'm saying, or from the success. Right. That- all the peak moments, the pivotal moments people see us in our glory days. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always say, you know, failure is just suspended success, you know, and that's how I look at, you mm. know, moments in which mm. I, you know, I was mm. feeling or I didn't feel like I was up to par or I was where I was supposed to be, you know, and all, all the in-between stages, you know, within life experiences and i always look at my failure moments and those experiences as suspended success because that success is coming it's building me for where i'm supposed to be right because it's all about your perception how you look at the moments that you you consider as failing and sometimes it's you that's putting that pressure on you as feeling somebody else is looking at you you have 2.0 me i have 1.3 like you know say you're Mm -hmm. up here like you know right right so a lot of times it's us that's putting expectation on ourselves and then we think it's other people, you know, because of the light that we want to see ourselves in. And that's human nature. It's, it's human nature, especially if you're somebody who is very goal-oriented, very ambitious, very determined. You want to be the best all the time. But sometimes failing is you being the best because you're learning from that and it's your perception. The moment mm. that I, I feel like I'm not, I'm feeling alive, it's success because it's building my character. You know what I'm saying? And character yeah. building, that's success. Yeah. You know, the moments where I feel like, okay, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's teaching me humility, right? And humility, that's yeah. success. Oh, so I think it's all about our perception of, of how we look at these moments, you know, that we're going through. Because it doesn't last mm-hmm. forever, but it, it's us being put in positions and putting experiences to build certain skill sets, you know, for that quote-unquote successful moments that you're dreaming and wishing and working towards. So I just wanted to put, I feel like that's yeah. what I get from you, Cynthia. Even though you thought you were failing, it was building other things in you you know it never stopped you from going after what you felt like you deserve and i love what ben just said 
Like, who's stopping you? Like, did no kill you? Nope. Did, you know, did embarrassment kill you? Hell no. And we have another boss babe who said this, and I always like to quote her, Linda, who said this. Like, don't count yourself out. Let other people count you out, but don't count yourself out. Go for it. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Don't tell yourself, I'm not going for it because, you know, I don't have this skill set and this experience. I don't know this person, yep, that person. Yep. No, let them tell you that, but at least try. And I feel like that's what, what I'm getting from you. And it's so inspiring. That, I mean, thank you for landing on the word try. Because my team now even knows me. I always say, let's give it a shot and see how it works yeah. out. If it doesn't work, then we know it didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. give it a shot, how mm-hmm. do you know it, it, it won't work? So if you tell me that right. this won't work, my first thought is, have you tried? Mm-hmm. Let's try. And I think that sometimes, interestingly enough, Sometimes that actually Mm. wastes a lot of time. Mm. And people will say it keeps you in this analysis paralysis scenario where you can't move because you're like, oh, let me try this. Let me try that. Let me try that. Let me try that. But ultimately, if you have had a lot of experience or exposure as you are trying, you know, you just figure it out in between when to stop. And that's one thing I tell people as well. I tell people that there's nothing wrong with failing, but there's also nothing wrong with quitting. So sometimes you just need to, you can check yourself. You don't necessarily need other people to tell you when to Mm. give it up. Because that's also another thing that I think that I picked up along the way where I try something and I see it's not working. It's not me. So, for instance, yeah. I quickly realized that I'm not necessarily a typical economics grad. Immediately I finished school, I said, okay, I don't think this is for me. I doubt I can even get into any job, whatever. Even though I ended up in a management consulting firm. And then, mm. funny enough, I ended up doing a lot of communication-related roles. In fact, mm. when I think about it, I've been doing communications-related roles from childhood all of the activities and everything i just had to get to the point where i literally figured the trends and got to that point yeah like wow bingo this is literally my life and i do it well because i remember my boss my first boss when i say my first boss i want to say my first really impactful boss outside of national service outside of all of those jobs when i was working at that management consulting firm her name is maria christian this boss lawyer an institutional reform woman that does not have any idea how much of an impact she made in my life. And I have to mention mm. that I've been lucky to have, you know, women who have showed me the way. And along the way, I look at the pivotal moments in my career and I've had women bosses who have just defined who I ended up being just by being themselves mm-hmm. and delivering. And PMC, as we used to call her fondly, was one of those women. She taught me how to persist because this woman did not take no for an answer. She didn't take bullshit, excuse my language. She insisted, she was a perfectionist. And people would tell you that I can be a perfectionist, right? And you know, I didn't even realize I was picking up these traits from women like her, but she was a perfectionist to the point where she would insist on redoing work. And that was where mm. I got my first taste of agency style work. Because mm. in a management consulting firm, the days and the times, I mean, we are work at midnight. You are working on projects. You are sometimes traveling. And, you know, the experiences I've got at the time, I actually thought my boss was too difficult. I didn't realize that I was actually getting vital experience. Right. You know, I was getting vital experience on how to deliver excellent work. I was getting vital experience on how to push myself at work and do what it takes to deliver. Yeah. I was getting vital experience on what I even do best because I remember that she was the one who once told me that at the end of the year, I actually won an award and she was like, most creative team member, Cynthia. And I was like, huh? Mm. I don't want most creative. I want most hardworking. Why are you giving me most creative? Like, who wants... <laughs> 
And I realized that that was why all the rules I got were all communications related rules because a woman could, see, mm. you know, and sometimes you need to make yourself available to people for people to guide you, even without you realizing it. And I appreciated that. So by the time that I was like, I'm going to grad school, I'm going to America, you know, I'm like, I've, I've seen Europe, I'm, in, I'm more interested. America is where it's mm. at. I've never been to America. I need to do grad school in America. I had friends who had gone mm. to grad school. The only problem was my grades were not good enough. And my parents are not going to afford grad school education. So now I'm like, na 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 na. How do you get to grad school? You can't afford it. Yeah. Your grades are not good enough. <laughs> I always tell people that I don't think I've been more determined in my life than when I decided I wanted to go to grad school. I don't even know where I got the motivation from, but I can assure you that I worked hard. And back then, it was a lot more cumbersome than now. Writing GREs, reporting your scores, searching yes. the schools. Yes. And, you know, and I'm talking. This is like 2008. 2009 i ended up going to grad school in 2010 with an assistantship you know and with assistantship obviously you are working for the school you get your tuition waiver you know and as i was leaving ghana i was like i had made up my mind that communications where it's at this is what i've been doing mm. this is what i'm really great at i'm just going to formalize it forget this economics degree i don't want to become uh, what you call it i want to become a banker i don't want to become anything fancy financial i think mm. who i am is comps and I, it looks yeah. like I excel in those roles. It's when I entered grad school. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Well, let's, 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 hold on. We don't enter the grad school arena because you've just dropped a whole bunch of gems and I don't need you to skip this moment because I feel like there's something very I'm telling you. Critical you just said, right? And I want to uh, tease that out a little bit. First one, representation matters. Across the board, representation matters. Yeah. The fact that well, after undergrad, you know, you, you know, you had a great opportunity in your national service and then mm. also the managing consultant, you know, agency you were working for, you had a woman who was in that leadership position, that decision-making, you know, position. And that woman, you just seen her mm. in her natural habitat professionally and how she was, you know, moving, gave you sort of that inspiration and also made you believe in yourself like, man... If this woman is doing this shit, I can also do it. There's so much I can learn from her. But yeah. I think the, the key for me and what I got from this conversation is that not only was this woman a badass boss and, you know, doing her thing and really moving the company along and her team along, she saw something in you, right? And she pulled it out yeah. of you because she yeah. made you look at yourself outside of the box. Like, you don't have to be like yeah. me. You know, this, this is what works for me. You don't have to be like yeah. me. But there's something unique in you. You have a very unique skill set, you know? And I'm going to pull it out of you so you can see where your strength truly lies. Because it's natural to you. And this is where I see, you know, you can really flourish and make it your own. And I feel like that is so important. And that's why when we find ourselves in these leadership positions it's important for us to pay forward and, and do the same because i can relate to that experience you know i can relate to that experience so much because you know i became who i am professionally in the profession because my background is in international development so i've worked globally a lot you know um, and held a lot of senior level governance sort of positions and but i didn't get there just out of the blue you know it was also representation someone believed in me and it was this yeah. one woman i always speak on her lakshmi Lakshmi gave me a chance when I didn't have the expertise and the skills that I had when mm. I was young coming. Lead us into the grad school journey in the USA, you know, the Gary, no Gary moments. We are now coming to USA to see what life is. So where did you go to school? 
Um, and what did you study um, in school and how was that experience? What were some key moments and some key impacts, you know, from that? I'm going to jump into grad school, but I love what you said about passing it on and doing for others what someone did for you. Now, in grad school for me, I went to Clemson University, South Carolina. I did not know Clemson until in my applications, I randomly chanced on the school. I only applied to the school because I was like, they have high student satisfaction rates. I checked the program. They have a communications program. They have offerings for assistance. I was like, you know what? Let me add the school to the list. And to be fair to the school, from the get-go, they were very, very friendly and accommodating and welcoming. And I was like, isn't this the South? I mean, this is the American South. Isn't that supposed to be racism central? Mm -hmm. Long story short is I put in a lot of effort. And, you know, this was post-recession period. And eventually, Clemson ended up being my best bet because they gave me the best offer. And that's how I found myself going to South Carolina when I'd never been to America. Mm. I didn't know anybody there. In fact, I got picked up by some really kind strangers from the airport, some uh, Sierra Leonean mm. and uh, a Cameroonian, and then a Ghanaian. Like, if I tell you my grad school experience, like, I was going in blind. Mm. Definitely a free spirit. I entered. <laughs> like that. Like, <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, my God, some of the things I've done in this life. I mean, somebody will be scared. If you think about it. Now when I think about it, I'm like, where did I get the courage from? But I went to Clemson. I showed up in the school and my mind was blown. First, my mind was blown because the school was actually a very well-respected and big-time school. You know, there's a difference between seeing websites and all of that stuff and arriving. I mean, this school is a highly endowed school. Their whole stadium for just American football is much bigger than the Ghana football stadium. Turns out this was some high-ranking top school in the South. And I was like, okay, there were not that many Black people, true. But I had such a fantastic experience because I continued to do what I did best, which was I figured out my hustle. Apart from my teaching gigs, I added on more teaching gigs. I decided that's when I also started working in agency because I figured out that Okay, here's my schedule. Grad school programs are in the night. You know, I can teach at this time. I can go work in an agency at this time. And that's how I managed to work in school at the same time during my grad school. Mm. By the time that I'd finished grad school, I had backed a lot of experience under my belt. Mm. You know, so it wasn't just like two years of like playing around. Of course, there was studies and everything, but it was two years yeah. well spent. You know, and I always tell people who are going to grad school in America that don't waste those two mm -hmm. years, you know, in grad school make the most of the experience you know you yeah. do whatever you can on campus do whatever you can off campus like explore and also when i say explore i don't mean just work and schooling and stuff i traveled to the country you know road trips all of that stuff and every time i say that these experiences have made me who i am today all of these experiences have exposed me to different lifestyles, different types of people. It's made me more open mm. and accepting. And yeah. you know, in Africa, yeah. sometimes we can be quite held back by our beliefs, our belief system. Yeah. Say it, say it, say, say it. And you know, it's like, if there's one place that will make you question your belief yeah. system, it's America. But I feel like, let's just be very clear, in all the best ways, I think at times in our lives, we do need to actually have our beliefs questions. So that the thing that you say, you know yeah. that you know, you know why yeah. you know it. Yeah, exactly. 
I got you. I agree with that. Why do you believe in what you believe? Why are you Christian? Why are you this? Why are you that? Mm -hmm. And you know, I came to America a little arrogant because I was like, yeah, how bad could it be? How different could it be? And my mind was blown because the experience in America was different from any experience I'd had altogether. Completely. Forget Europe. Completely different. And you know, the funny thing is I tell people that one of the best things about America is also the way they approach things. And whilst I was living and I knew I went on to work in America, I didn't even appreciate how much of a grounding and um, mm. a rounding it gave me as a person, as a professional, until I returned home. And then I realized, wow, like I didn't even spend a decade in America. No, I spent like three mm. and a half years in America or whatever. And, you know, after working, when I finished grad school, I ended up in Dallas. From Dallas, yeah. I moved to D.C., you know, Virginia. Uh, hey, all my spots. I mean, Woodbridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I was there. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> exactly. So, like, I mean, I lived in Dallas for a while. The company transferred me to D.C. I was working at a public affairs firm mm -hmm. in D.C., like in mm -hmm. the heart of all of the exciting, you know, public affairs stuff in DC. If you know DC, you know that DC is everything public yeah. affairs and politics. And and for me, it was such a remarkable yeah. experience. And I moved from there mm. and I worked at um, American University, Washington College of Law. That's where I got my feet wet in digital mm -hmm. marketing because I don't know how I got that job. Once again, I applied and I got a job and I was supposed to be <laughs> selling university law degree programs online and that was my first real try at digital marketing so i always tell people that sometimes even if you don't know what is most important is are you willing yeah. to learn like really try i found myself doing all these things come on cynthia come on cynthia where's the offering plate at this point in this podcast because let's just be very serious here cynthia what you're dropping are really free gems that i really hope that are going to not only inspire people but push you into mm -hmm. action you know, I think that's what I'm getting out of this is there's a lot about you that I understand you and patients are, are couching it under this free spirit umbrella. But I think there's a lot about you that is the African spirit. That is who Africans innately are, because we are already coming in the race in 50th place. You know what I mean? And we have to now compete with the rest of the world in the top 10. You understand? It's already not fair, but it is this drive to continually push drive to continually say i don't know how to get there but you know what at the end of the day we're going to look up and we'll find ourselves there and i love you're not only saying oh you you guys heard my accolades yes i did all this amazing stuff but you're really giving us the blueprint as to how we got to where we are which is the essence of this yeah. podcast right this is the essence of what most people don't get from african women we'll see cynthia in 10 15 years being honored by forbes and cnn and and will now be like oh she's somebody we need to look up to and yet you have right from when you were 12 you have been facing challenges encountering failure overcoming it learning pivoting learning taking it in as something else, passing it on to the next person. And I think this is what a series of ends is. You just didn't become who Cynthia is today by accident or by just a series yeah. of wonderful, unfortunate yeah. events. You've actually lived life. And I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through this because I know if nobody else, I know between patients and myself, 
we're just sitting here like wowed and it's wowed in the sense that we need to be moved to action because i think you can get inspiration anywhere today you open tiktok somebody can just give you a quick 15 second inspo but what you're really giving us is the concrete how to do this and and i really do appreciate you taking the time really it, it's amazing yeah. thank you too for just like putting the dots together and just drawing the fine line because you're absolutely right about that it's also that resilient spirit of africans mm. living abroad mm-hmm. and living in mm-hmm. America. You end up in this community of people who you are less than the minority. I mean, in my school, mm. for instance, we were very few black people. How much more Africans? Very, very few. Yeah. But in that space, you find that you suddenly recognize that you are one, an unintentional representative of your people. And that was actually what I had a chance to do a TED mm-hmm. talk when I was in, in yes. grad school. Mm-hmm. And I did my TED talk on being drowned by the stereotypes because it was based on my experiences being Um, an African in this very white space. And, you know, I always used to tell people that you have to move beyond what you think you see at face value, you know. And I found that I was this person who was, I didn't know where and how, I suddenly had this responsibility on my shoulders to give people a different impression of what they think an African is. To the point where I can tell you that, I mean, just in case one of my grad school classmates stumble on this, you guys know that by the time we finish grad school, you could not say anything about Africa if you weren't, if it wasn't well (laughs) reported. Tell it, sis, tell it. I was in class, you say something. Do you like, you can back it up. I always used to say things like, look, the internet is free. The poor internet I struggled with in Ghana. You have a much better version of it. Don't come and sit Mm. and be speaking, spewing ignorance Mm. when you can just Google it. And in some ways, that experience also helped me to understand my place. You know, it's like, you think you're just rolling, rolling, being yourself, but you don't realize that you are an unintentional representative. And this means that you have a burden of responsibility, whether you like Mm. it or not. How you act, what you do, how you contribute defines how someone else will be viewed. Someone else with your background will be viewed. And, you know, I want to mention that even with that, it wasn't perfect because for me, I had to learn how to be Black in America, coming from a space where I wasn't Black and when I say I wasn't black, let me explain it. Yeah. In Africa, it's homogeneous. Mm-hmm. Even when I was traveling wherever, it wasn't a problem. I never had to think about my blackness. I was African. I was Ghanaian. Now, I went to America. One of my classmates were just like two black people in the class. One day, she called me aside and she said, Cynthia, I want you to know something. She said, when you don't open your mouth, no one knows you're African. So it's better for you to understand the dynamics of this, how the system works yeah. quickly. And she told me this very early in my time in grad school and it stayed with me till Mm -hmm. today because I suddenly realized that one the world is bigger than my purview I was forced to come to terms with this is a space where I have no control over how people view me I have to learn how to navigate these spaces and once again we acknowledge that all of these stories we are talking about and I love your podcast name because it really is it's a series of ends all of these scenarios, all these moments, all these learning opportunities are really just a series of ends leading to who you are at this particular end. Moving on, there will be further ends. Yeah. And it's just amazing and mind-blowing when you think of it like that. Because for me, it's like I was learning, understanding who I was, like finding my place, understanding Mm. that the world was bigger than what I thought it was. I was coming to see that there was only so much I could do in certain spaces. But at the same time, recognizing that I couldn't hold myself back, you know, and be held back by 
so-called systematic constraints or cultural constraints. Yeah. Long story short, eventually I left America and I left America at a point where I was like, I'm going to Ghana because I'm not sure where I'm at. All of these things. I came to Ghana and I never went back, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> when I came to Ghana, I remember my friends in the States were like, oh, you know, the way you are, you enjoy America too much. You know, you will, you will struggle when you go back uh-huh. home. You know how Ghana can be quite stressful. The system doesn't work. Things are not smooth and easy. You know, it's not convenient. Mm. I mean, how many years later I am here and I'm thriving? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's one lesson there because for a lot of returnees as well, there's a struggle between coming in with this new, it's like you have a halo on top of your head where you're coming in and you feel like you're coming in with so much grace and so much experience and, you know, all of this otherworldliness. Then you come in yeah. and then the reality of this African Ghanaian lifestyle yeah. slaps you in yeah. the mm. face. Tee! And you see that for a lot of returnees, some people pack up and they go back. Mm-hmm. Some people, they take the failure so seriously to heart. And frankly speaking, as failures can be very debilitating, so I understand. But at the end of the day, I always tell people that sometimes in order to function and succeed, mm-hmm. I would say from my experience, it takes a little bit of adapting, understanding the system, mm-hmm. checking yourself with your expectations mm-hmm. and managing, but still delivering on a high standard. So you have to learn to marry. And this brings me to one of my favorite work experiences when I came back to Ghana. And I ended up working as a head of PR. Obviously, a lot of things in between that time. But at some mm. point, I was head of PR at Global Media Alliance. And I was having a lot of difficulties. Global Media Alliance was a fantastic opportunity for me because it taught me about my leadership mm-hmm. skills. It taught me who I was as a leader and how my leadership style was received mm-hmm. and how I make it better because I struggled. Yeah. I came into a role where I had 17 team members, majority of whom looked like my big sisters and brothers. <laughs> and here I was like... Oh, oh, let's talk about it because how do you navigate a team when you're the youngest one there, right? And especially in an African culture where they do actually require you to fully show that respect to your elders and questioning of anything is disrespect. You understand? You must just always be compliant, but you're the team lead. Yeah. Walk us through what that was like. So in coming from America, once again, I say that I didn't realize how much I had changed Mm -hmm. until I was back in the Canadian system. Then I realized that, oh, I was very Americanized in the way that Mm. I approached work and approached things. Mm. And you guys know how it works. Things are very straight to the point. Things are systematic, uncompromising, systematic, no matter how free-spirited you are, there are things that you yeah. just have to deliver on. So, you know, I came into a system where even the job that I had originally applied for, I didn't get it because they said you look like a kid. <sighs> my life. So they said, oh, why don't you go do marketing manager? No, I'm serious. They were like, why don't you, you have good experience. You, you don't fit the role. Yes. Yes. So then they said, why don't you go and be the marketing manager at the cinema, Silverbed Cinemas? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went there and I rocked it because, one, I quickly understood the hierarchy. Who's Mm -hmm. my boss? How does this work? Where do I fit in? What do I need to do? Would I get an opportunity to deliver? And I'm very proud to say that I started things that they still do till today. I started the whole flamboyant movie Mm -hmm. premiere thing. It was these were things that I literally just, you know, came up with and then we had fun and we did it. We literally had a concept, things like that. But when I moved from that role into the role of leadership as the head of PR, and then I came in, and funny enough, I wasn't the youngest Mm -hmm. in the team. I just looked really young at the time. This role where people are like, there's that lady who, you know, she's a bit American. (laughs) Who is she to become our boss? So you come in and now it's like, 
apart from the job, which by the way was terrifying to me, I'll be honest, because I had never been a head of a department yeah. before. So mm. first I needed to figure out the role. Secondly, 17 people <laughs> with sub teams and their sub heads. So here I was like, this is a lot. And the team was like, this is also a lot for them because for them, they're like, who is this small girl? Literally. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that I quickly, it's not even one of the things that I quickly realized, but in the beginning, I tried to create this persona mm -hmm. of serious responsibility and authoritative, oh which I am not mm -hmm. natural. Hey, you're speaking to me. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it right now. I'm, I'm just it. It's okay. Patience, patience. Do you need a minute? Do you need a minute? I know she's, she's stepping on some toes and pulling some heartstrings. Do you need a minute? I know, right? Like, sometimes I wear, like, clothes that I'm like, what the hell am I wearing? Because I want to look more serious. And, you know, and I gave it my all. So quickly, it was determined that, oh, she knows what she's doing. The only problem was I was rubbing my team off the wrong way. Unintentionally, when I even open my mouth and I'm chastising, I'm asking, it comes out antagonistic just because i was too straightforward sometimes my expectations were uncompromising unrealistic you know so i quickly had to like in the beginning i had a lot of issues that first year was rocky for me mm -hmm. but i'm actually grateful for the support that management gave me because i remember one time my boss called me into a meeting and he sat down and said listen i need to give you some advice and this man actually gave me brilliant leadership advice he said one be yourself. You know, he told me, he told me that why don't I try to become friends with my team members? Because I was complaining to him that it's like, no matter how I push, you know, I'm getting all of this pushback from them. I'm not getting any traction. It's like, they can't stand me. And my boss was like, and this is like the CEO of the company. He was like, if there's anything, nobody has any doubts about your ability. Everybody knows mm -hmm. you are capable. They acknowledge that you yeah. brought value to mm -hmm. the team. What it is, is you need to refine your leadership style. So he asked me a few things. Yeah. You have to remember, this is not America. You need to pick your battles, you know, and, and like these words stayed with me. And this is how many years ago these words stayed with me. He said, you have to pick your battles and you have to manage your expectations. And that's what I'm saying. At the time, I didn't realize how American I was because for me, a report is due on Friday. It is due on Friday. Mm -hmm. Whereas his point was, the report is due on Friday. So what? What report is it? Is it a do or die affair, as we say in Ghana? <laughs> if the report is late, and the team members are late. What do you do? Call the client and manage the client and just be like, hey, you know, that report is not going to come home. Charlie, give us some time. Monday, Monday, we'll send the thing because we make hot. You know what I'm trying to say? And you know what he said that? And it was a very short conversation. Once again, I don't even think he'll even remember this, but it was a short conversation, but it landed so heavy in my heart because that was one of the first things. I was like, all these gripes I have, they are not delivering on X, they are not delivering on Y. What is the most important thing we need to deliver on? The report is not the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, elsewhere, people would disagree. Yeah. What is the most important things we've executed? If the report is late, it's not the end of the world. And I quickly had to learn yeah. to adapt. And from that time, I realized that I sat back and I, I relaxed a little. So I was like, instead of yeah. stressing my team members out, when I gave them grace, and as I gave them mm. grace, they also gave me grace. So that's how I started defining my leadership style. So what happened then was mm, mm. being myself. And being myself is um, silly. I make jokes. I want to yeah. laugh around. You know, I want to be funny. And as I did that as well, then I started forming real relationships with my team members. And I was so right. proud of yeah. that set of that, that, my, that team because up till today, I am so proud of the team. All of them have gone on to do fantastic things in different places excelling mm -hmm. and i'm so proud that they all say that that time working with me was very beneficial to them because for them as well i helped yeah. to share the little that i knew 
and they helped mm. me to be a better leader. So it was a brilliant experience for me. You know what, Cynthia? Like this is, and I think Benja, you know, original, you know, questions that she asked in terms of navigating that space in those situations. This is a real thing, and I need people to like know that this is actually a real thing, a real experience, and a real like struggle. And, and, and you know, I was making a joke earlier on saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm so triggered because I can literally like feel the experience you you know you went through because it models my own experience as well." I come from a field that is very hardcore you know development we are dealing with world crisis life and death humanitarian issues you know i'm saying war-torn zones and you're dealing with real life situations that can affect people's day-to-day and their living situation usually a small tiny woman isn't the woman they want to front face you know what i'm saying in these high level position we have to make high level global decisions and working with these partners are usually white male dominated partners you know what i'm trying to say and so and it affects your confidence you know as a woman who looks like me who talks like me who sounds like me you feel like you have the skill set you can do the work you're more than willing to learn you're more than willing to you know what i'm saying to truly change the way things are moving in that scenario but people look at you they will see you have everything on paper the technical stuff you got this shit and then when they meet you in person they see you they know you can do it but their mind is going on like man if i put her next to like my middle eastern stakeholder and they see her they're gonna be like now nah, we can't put this deal on the table with you you know yes you're just Cynthia. You are triggering me because <laughs> I'm thinking about like one of my great women bosses as well, Ikea. Mm-hmm. told me one time, she was like, you need to get over this feeling like you are a young business. When you walk into a room and you open your mouth, you know, you sound like you know what you're doing. So get over that hang up. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate because she was also somebody that, I mean, she is someone that I generally like, I look up to because of just the way she even approaches things. One of the smartest people. And like, she was like, you know, just do it. This is you. Forget how you look. You can deliver. And interestingly enough, it comes back to that other thing where I have always told my team, I've always said it, that the whole confidence thing, we look and we sound like we're confident, but it's not a confidence built out of nothing. In fact, a lot of times, the expression right. I use is faking it to make it. There are so many times in my life, in my career, so many times in the past, and even now, when I have mm. been so uncertain of myself, that I just doubted myself, but with even with the doubts, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to put on my Cynthia and keep moving. And you know, my team will tell you that I always used to joke and say, I'm putting on my Cynthia and we are going for this meeting. We're going to do this pitch. We're going to do that. And when I say I'm putting on my Cynthia, it's like, forget the fact that my hands are shaking. Forget the fact that my voice is a little shaky. I'm going to put myself into the role, mm-hmm. act the part, because Forget that I look like, and now it's better because now I look more my age than before. But then in the past, it's like, I was always worried about like, I want to yeah. look the part. I want to be taken seriously. You know, every time at the back of my mind, I'm like, how can I be taken seriously if I look like a young lady, like too young? You know, I look and sound. But along the way, I, I figured out that, look, all you need to do is mm-hmm. yeah. act your seriousness, act your exactly. it's necessary, act your part. When you do that, you will find yourself actually being confident. Yeah. 
And you know what, Cynthia, one thing you said, I feel like it's important, you know, here in anyone that's listened, that's probably that has gone through seamless experiences or still going through, you know, those experiences, you know, you said something and I can resonate with that where you said, you know, because you felt that you were so young and all people looked at you like you were so young, even though you knew you could do the work, but because they saw you in that light, it made it difficult for you to mm-hmm. run certain teams or to be put in certain positions, right? And so you had to mm-hmm. carve out a persona for yourself that's far removed from who you really are in order to gain that respect. And I could not resonate so much with it because similar, same thing. You know, I've held senior level positions a lot of times through my careers. And when I started to realize that people were looking at me as this young girl, whatever, I knew I was not going to grow in my career. I had to build a persona. So I became somebody that was known like in my field as a pit bull in a skirt. You know what I'm saying? Even though that's not mm-hmm. even me. But I had to, you know, put that person over being a pit bull in a skirt and somebody who was just very, like you said, very authoritative, yeah. very demanding, very strict. There was no room to laugh. There was no room to smile. There was no room for you to even joke with me. Like, it's not even going to happen. And because I work with a lot of male, like 50-year-old people, you know, like, and both internal to the institutions I work for and even external to the partner. I can't be in UN meetings you know what I'm saying? This young girl, like, hey, and I'm sitting there with like prime ministers and ambassadors and things like that. Like, it doesn't work in those rooms, right? And so I had to carve that persona. It used to hurt me a lot because I felt like I wasn't being myself, like, at all. Like, and I felt like, you know, I was just so far removed from who I was. And I was put in positions where I had to be this tough stickler individual you know that was just like no and it was until the experience i had mentioned Mm. earlier i said until that woman who i said representation mattered that i saw her in those spaces i saw how she carried herself and she pulled certain things out of me she could see that i was uncomfortable being this pit bull in a skirt and this like you know because that wasn't me and so her like truly believing in me and investing in me and, and letting me know like, no patient, that's not who you are. You're a free spirit. People yeah. actually love being around you. These motherfuckers out here, don't nobody like being around them. They're just out here sucking up to them. So you know what I'm saying? To make shit happen. But this is who you are. You're always going to be this young looking youthful person. You can't change that about yourself. So make it work for you. Use it, you know what I'm saying? To your advantage and make it work for you. And when I started to change my mindset to that, I saw the difference. I was much more happier in my roles, much more, you know, innovative, creative, you know, in my role, much more excited, passionate, committed. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really, really important from your story is that what I'm getting out of it is, yes, you may not look the part, but who gives a shit? You know what I'm saying? You can do the work, you know, as long as you believe in yourself and you use what is naturally to you, to your advantage. And I think when you start to relinquish that perception and start to be more Cynthia, your team responded better to you. You know, your team was more collaborative with you and your team gave you the respect Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. always, you know what I'm saying, deserve. But I think it started from you and also your mindset and you changing that. Thank you. I mean, you could, like, it's literally, you described exactly my journey of leadership and coming to terms with who I am and how I am as a leader. Mm -hmm. And I am very proud of how far I've come in terms of learning what works for me. And, you know, being in the position that I'm at now, because now that experience from the past helps me to remain yeah. humble. It helps me remember where I've come from. It helps me to appreciate all the different people in the team and understand yeah. that, 
everybody has a different journey everyone has their individual struggles mm. and i think most of mm. all i have found that it helps me to be vulnerable with my team as well i am very big on sharing you know sharing in the sense that i am being honest about how i feel about things being honest about how things are going not necessarily feeling like the expectation is always to put up this i am a leader so i must be seen as infallible um type thing no not at all and i have loved that in making the choices of the places that I've worked at. Yeah. I have learned from every single, mm. you know, and I call myself an agency mm. rat because a lot of my career has been agency to agency from consulting, <laughs> which is pretty much an agency type of business to, you know, working in the States. And when I was in grad school, working at Smoke PR, working at Vox Global, all of these agencies coming to Ghana, working at Global Media Alliance, working at um, what's it called now available Africa how come you've worked at so many different places I'm like well look at this way I bring perspective to the job I bring a lot of exposure and experience but you know every time it's a different iteration of lessons that I picked up so in being who I am today being this so-called achieving marketing and communications person what people don't realize is it's just an iteration of all of these individual experiences that has led me to this point where being the full owner of the brand pushing the brand in terms of marketing pushing the brand in terms of communication this person is as a result of all of the things that happened before all of the lessons that happened all the learnings and sometimes when i talk about my career journey i don't necessarily want to talk about the nice things we won an award in this we won an award mm -hmm. in that sometimes I tell people that these are nice to have. These are in some ways vanity metrics. What matters is, did we really deliver? Has my brand really built? I feel like that's where your legacy, yeah. your success. And people think that I work too hard. That's also funny enough, a series of ends. No, I love it. You know, there's one thing that I fully believe in. I'm very big on seeing what I what it is I want to become, right? And and that also includes words. So I am an avid reader. In my avid reading, I usually collect all the kind of quotes that speak to me personally within all the different phases of my life. And one of them is execution is strategy for lunch. I think that is literally what you're saying. At the end of the day, we can sit here, we can talk about what you'll do, how we'll do it. But if you don't actually get to the meat and potatoes of the thing and actually serve the meal, show people this is what we're actually bringing to the table, have people enjoy the meal itself, get feedback about it. What have you really done outside of meal plan? So for me, I am a really firm believer in working out what it is you're dreaming about. Otherwise, you're going to just be this person who has big talk. You know, in Africa, I've said big talk right now. If you've had four people come to mind, you're like, mm, like this one, like this one, like this one. It's big talk, big idea. People, they are there. They are plenty. It's the people who actually get in the weeds and execute that are required. And so one of the things that has really fascinated me about our conversation today is this through line of the importance, almost the value, almost of a kinship with failure, being so familiar with it that it ends up being the motivational factor that distinguishes you in your career. You know, right now you're the group head of marketing and corporate affairs at Hollard, Ghana. And for you to have gotten to that point at this age in your life and at this stage of your life is such a testament to the resilience, the hard work. I think we say we take resilience sometimes and we, and we make it such a light word. But the hard work, you know, in multiple locations, you've talked about how hard you work. 
So you being this person who puts all of this focus and, and, and the value on hard work and execution and just overall excellence, how is it then do you transition into taking care of yourself, right? Because I think Africans know what it means to work hard. I don't think there's an African here we can say, oh, you must come and work hard. They know what it means to work hard because if money and, and status and all of that was actually based on hard work, Africans would be among the millionaires and billionaires on this planet. Okay. So we know it's not necessarily just hard work, but how do you then take care of yourself? At the very top of the show, you mentioned that you see yourself as a workaholic, as somebody who is a career woman. You understand? So what do you do for self-care? How do you take care of Cynthia to make sure that you continue having enough fuel in the tank to keep going? Let's just say that inner child, I let that inner child out. Mm. So I love to have fun. Mm. It's a side of me that a lot of people don't see because I'm quite, actually, I'm quite private on social media. Mm. So I don't necessarily post where I'm at, what I'm doing. Well, in the last year, I probably slowed down a little (laughs) bit, but people who go out a lot will probably know my face, Mm. you know, from maybe two years before I was a constant like night out. <laughs> so I used to joke about how like I will go from work. We close work at 10. I'll go home, shower, and I'm out. Come on. <laughs> like we are out on the mm. town. We are going to have fun. going to dance. We are going to, you know, hang out yeah. with friends. And then, you know, the next morning, if we don't have work to do, sleep in. If you have work to do, you wake up mm. groggy, grab a coffee or something and keep it moving Mm. you know I have literally been that person who stayed out way too late and had to go to work at one like an hour sleep that is how I have been like I like to enjoy I like to have fun so when they said allow me to enjoy myself they were singing this song for you I think it's techno techno was singing that just for you it's okay we are taking notes we did not talk about dirty december we are taking notes Please, the playlist is, is creating itself. We are out. We're always outside. But you know, interestingly is, I also learned a few things recently mm. because someone made a comment about me some time back about how I make being a career woman unexciting because it looks like I work all mm. the time. Mm. And I said that I need to try and balance how I represent myself online because then it means that I need to show off the things that I'm doing that are not work-related. Yeah. Even though I tend to be private yeah. about that so for instance i'm also an adventurous person i love taking road trips i love mm. hiking last year the highlight of my year was climbing the lion's head mountain that's like the second highest peak in, in cape town oh nice you know i mm. completely love the experience mm. like that's the kind of thing that i yeah. would do and even that i could have posted a ton of pictures i think i ended up posting one mm. i have done like for instance i think two years ago i was on a billboard campaign for one of the wax print fabric brands mm-hmm. for critics and i remember that was so funny because people were so confused like i met people who'd be like there is a girl on the billboard <laughs> that looks like you she looks like you <laughs> and then you know like somebody even texted me and he sent me a picture i said this billboard the girl on the billboard <laughs> looks like you but for them they were like they've never seen a corporate person yeah. right in a role like that yeah standing on a billboard wearing this Mm. you know modeling basically and for me it was just like i stumbled on it it just happened and i was like you know why not sure this should be fun yeah i did the shoot and the billboards were all over the cities like in accra and kumasi and wherever yeah and i thought it was the most fun thing every time i drive past myself on the billboard i'm so excited (laughs) i'm giddy with excitement i love that so i (laughs) you know outside of work 
I enjoy hanging out with my friends. I enjoy hanging out with my family. I do enjoy that quality time. Mm. But I think that I appreciate quality time because I've also led a lifestyle where work is so intense. So even for the young people that I work with, I always tell them that because work is intense, you need to make sure that you balance that intensity of work with an intensity of enjoyment, an intensity of getting out there. Don't go home and just go and sit behind Netflix. Get out, participate in something. Apart from the fact that you're actually getting exposure, it lets you breathe. And I think that for me, it's kept me going because even though I've been a workaholic, because I still have a lot of fun outside of work. You know, I have a good circle of friends. We do this. I mean, if I'm not roaming around with some adventure group, doing something in some random place, maybe I'm just partying. I think that it has helped me to not take myself too seriously and take my work too seriously. So as against like people who would break down because work is so stressful and they don't have anything to balance it. I have been able to, I think, I can't imagine what's ahead of me, <laughs> but up until this point, it has helped yeah to be able to walk out of work, mm. go home, take a shower and do something that I enjoy doing. Mm. That's how I balance my life. I understand, especially because I also have some of my own clients here and people are always asking me because I'm the complete opposite of you. If there's something that I can share on social media, I share it. I love to say, hey, this is where I'm at today. This is the concert I went to. Because for me, I think for so long, people who have been seen as successful or people who have been seen as having accomplished things have also been associated with this air of seriousness, this air of like, oh, you're so far above. There's nothing that we can relate to, you know? And I think that's part of why this podcast is so important is to really bring people down to earth and say, this person who is sitting on all of these accolades, had to go through all of this. And by the way, on Saturday and on Sunday, she's out here jollying, coming to work on one hour of sleep. But you know what? It's all about the balance of it all, right? And I think that's why I find the power of social media is such a key thing to have, especially in our generation where we want people coming in behind us to almost rip this veil of mystery as to how it is you become a successfully well-balanced working woman where you don't feel like, oh, your choices are I'm going to be an oppressed feminist or I'm going to be a married woman with three children. You know what I mean? I feel like people just think it is one or the other. There is nothing in between. And this is where like, I find where social media done right makes people learn so much more about life. And it's not really about showing all parts of your life. If you're the captain of the ship here. You choose exactly what it is you want people to see. But taking away this veil of mystery, you know, allows people to even now come to you and say, oh, I see that you did this also. I'm wondering if you can help me understand how then to get to this place. But they would never have come to you if they wouldn't have seen you do something that they felt was like them. Do you know what I mean? Can I just add that from what you're saying, honestly speaking, that is actually for me, when I think about what I better exactly that i honestly think my social media presence (laughs) in spite Mm. of the fact that i do this for a living like communications and marketing when it comes to my own personal marketing and communication i'm not the best yeah i think that if i was serious i would love to craft that personality online where you know there's a balance that young women can look at me and see that being a career woman is not just work 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 and you know i want to mention the fact that also they think that for instance Oh, you're unmarried. I'm 39. You're unmarried. So you sacrificed relationships and family life. Yes. 
for work. It just looks like all you do is work. You only post about work. So for me, the learning curve, and I, I do believe that I need to do better, yeah. is being able to share that balanced view so that young women know that it's my choice not to be married mm. at this point in time. Mm. It's my choice because I could have been. I have my viewpoint about life. And for me, I thought that this was the lifestyle I wanted to lead. I have no regrets for the decisions I've made Absolutely. in my life. And that's on period. I think that I owe it to younger women to also show them that when you make certain decisions, it does not mean you are a better feminist career woman per yeah. se. You know, so I'm the first person to say that I really need to do better when it comes to that, showing that balance yeah. view so that young women don't think that being an accomplished career woman comes at the expense of life, yes. you know, comes at the expense yes. of happiness and family and all of that. It will never be fully balanced. Sometimes you have to give one than the other. I have never believed in a full balance, right. but I do believe that the truth is if you kind of put your mind to it, you can find a way to balance things out in one way or yeah. the other. Even if it's not 50-50, it will most likely be 70-30 today, maybe 50-50 tomorrow. Maybe because sometimes you do need to put in the 70 hour work in order to advance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have an opportunity to step back a bit and give your family and your personal life a lot more effort. But it's more or less, it's not impossible to do. You know, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, I think this is what sort of Benja was saying and with our podcast, just to add the humanity to the woman, you know, to her, her positions. And so the accuracy that she has, you know what I'm saying? And that's why even the self-care question, we like to ask as people can see, you can be a boss and mm -hmm. still invest and pour into your cup. You know what I'm saying? Because that's very important. And I think to Benja's point, you know, you can be this amazing world-renowned, like marketing head honcho, right? And still be somebody who wears bikini and be in the Jamaican islands on vacation, talking to a good dance hall beat. You know what I'm saying? That does not take away from your accomplishment. You know what I'm saying? You can be the boss that goes sits in these boardrooms and make big decisions and still be the woman who goes on tropical vacation with pink colorful braids in your hair and, you know, enjoying life, drinking a good cocktail. You know, all of that, I think it does not take away from your success and from your leadership and from your boss. I think that's what we want to keep, you know, reiterating to people because like what Ben just saying is a lot of times people think just because you're in a certain field or in a certain position or you're this successful person, you're not human. And like in my experience, I'm the complete opposite. Yes, you'll find me in the bikini, it might be a G-string, bikini on the beach, twerking, drinking, and having a good time, right? But I can still leave that space and enter, you know, my career space and kill that game and shut it down. That's what makes us multifaceted, like, you know, women. And so that's the important part about that, yeah. With all of us is something that I was having a conversation with an acquaintance earlier today. And I said to her, the goal is for us to die empty because there's nothing worse than a life lived full of regret. Oh, I should have, I could have. There's nothing, at least in my mind and in, and in my perspective and in my estimation, there is really nothing worse than that. Because to die empty means that you tried everything there was to try. You tasted everything there was to taste. You failed and then you got back up and you still survived it all. By the time they put me in the grave, it should say on my tombstone, she deaf did all that. You know what I mean? She died completely empty. You know, I'm on the other side of the fence where I'm at the stage in my life, at least, where I feel as though no matter how hard life is, you got to share it. You got to be able to say this is what's happening. So when you see me on my highest high, 
you can still say, wow, remember that time when she was just taking a motorbike from point A to point B? Now she's out here rolling in a Range Rover. We can all clap for that. Do you know what I mean? And we're not selling the dream. I'm such a person who's against selling the dream because it's not real. It's literally just that, a dream, you know? So for us, I think one of the key moments, the key points that I've taken here is this theme of being able to die completely empty, you know? And so... In terms of us being able to wrap up today's episode, which has been so fully charged, I feel like this is what I want a series of ants to be on tour. And I'm going to put it out there, patience. When we go on tour, I need it to just be a series of Cynthia's on stage, just spitting wisdom, answering questions. Because what I've really enjoyed in this conversation is the practical nature of what we've done here is you've said this is the how. You understand? Oh, now you see me like this. This is how I did it. Oh, you know, when I told you I failed, this is how I then came and I succeeded. Oh, you saw how I was a bad manager. This is how I overcame that. This is how I retrained my mind. This is how I took over from what my past uh, experiences were and how I was able to ameliorate and become a better manager. So I think anybody listening, if you've gotten to this point in the podcast, first of all, we are so grateful. And I hope that at the end of the day, you've gotten so many gems because Cynthia, honestly, you are a treasure trove and I do not take that lightly. But as we end the podcast, we always end with this one question. What excites you or what inspires you the most about African women? Whew. I think it's the diversity of our personalities. That's one thing about African women. It's You meet an African woman, and I've been around the continent quite a bit. You see women from Sierra Leone, I've been to Sierra Leone. You see women from Nigeria. You see Ghanaian women. You know, you see Kenyan women. You see Southern African women, Rwandan women. I'm in awe of these women. Yeah. You know, every time. And what I love about traveling is just getting to a new place you've never been before and looking at women and seeing yourself, but not really, mm. if that makes sense, mm. in them. And you're watching, and I'm a people watcher. I enjoy mm. observing people. It's like, I see these women, you find yourself maybe at a conference yeah. in Rwanda, yeah. and you watch women, and you're like, I wonder this mm. one's life. You know, you hear them talking. They have lives. They are pushing. They are doing. And you know, there's one African women are, we are doers. I'm in awe of African women when it comes to that because no matter where yeah. you go, there's always a colorfulness. It's just standard. Whether we are in Africa, we are not in Africa, you can't take the color out of us. The colorful personalities, the colorful presentation. Say it like you know it. We bring joy and light wherever we are. And especially, I might add, these generations, you know, where we are a whole lot more confident, we are, have a whole lot more access. And so we are out mm. there. Like, I just love the fact that being African is now cool. And, you know, African women are leading the way when it comes to that. All of you are beautiful, beautiful, smart, achieving women. I mean, I'm proud to be an African woman and I'm proud to be one of many of the the people who make this continent what it is. And thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Mm. Thanks to you guys for allowing me to share my very <laughs> all over the place story. And I love that. Yeah. Like I said, I love the title of the podcast. I love the fact that it's not a straight line. Yeah. Life really isn't a straight line. It is a series of ends. And you couldn't have said it better. It's a series of ends. And for me, I aspire mm. to make sure that as I am also moving, others move with me. Mm. So this podcast, you might not even appreciate it. Somebody somewhere mm. will probably stumble upon it and listen to all big episodes and it will make a difference in their life. 
Say it again. Just sometimes, really, it's about the legacy. It sounds cliche, but I mean, what is this life if you're not making an impact? Right. We're definitely excited to, you know, to have had you and to definitely follow your journey and just the amazing stories you shared with us, your honesty, your vulnerability. Definitely not only just inspired uh, Benja and myself, but I know our listeners across the globe. The little girl that is in Ghana, the little girl that's in Liberia, in Congo, that's hearing Cynthia's story and it reignites her passion and follow her dreams. And we're to also stand in her uniqueness and her power so it's so important we appreciate this so much and also before we end could you let our listeners know where you know where they can find you on social media how they can connect with you um, yep. on linkedin yes my name is cynthia Ayram they can find me on linkedin on um, facebook instagram on x but i think i'm most prolific on linkedin i post every couple of weeks or so Majority of my posts are work-related. Forgive me. I'm going to try and post more of my personal life. I will try. But you can find me. I'm sure if you type in my last name, Ophorigium 4, it's not very common. Something should come up. Easy to find. I'm very open to cats. So. Oh my gosh. What an, what an incredible, like, soul-enriching podcast this has been. Like, truly, truly soul-enriching. There are times when... You connect with somebody online and it's unlike any other friendship that you have um, in real life where you at least get to touch and see this person on a daily basis. All together here I've shared during this podcast episode today. And so we're again, once again, so, so grateful to Cynthia for her time, for her wisdom. And again, guys, this is our job. We bring these women to you. It is now up to you to take the next step and to reach out and to connect and to actually start creating community. So feel free to reach out as Cynthia has shared where she is to be found. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another African woman showing us that we're all a series of ands. Go on and be all you can be. Bye.